Audiobook. Audiobook release. Podcast. Authors. Narrators. Interviews. Industry. News. Reviews. Sponsored by eAudioProductions.com. Welcome to the Audiobook Release Podcast. A show for audiobook lovers. Stay tuned as we share the latest news from the audiobook industry. We interview established and upcoming authors. We talk with popular narrators and review a wide range of audiobooks. Brought to you by eAudioProductions.com. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us today, uh, part of the audiobook release podcast. And this one is all about narrators. I'm Pam Wood. I'm an audiobook narrator myself, and I'm having a blast with the chance to meet some of these really cool narrators as part of eAudio Productions' talent roster. So today we will be meeting and talking with Wayne Luggett. And before we do that, before we dive into the actual chat, let's take a listen, a little snippet of Wayne's work. We do not fear the dark day. Those before us light our way. The jaguar roars. We will answer his call. We will not fail. We will not fade. The jaguar's blood is in our veins. The soldiers finished the last line and Godrin shouted, This is the day of your independence. The day your children can breathe freedom. Apollyon has called you to your destiny. Now take up your swords and fulfill it. You will not shame our ancestors. Victory is here. The soldiers' voices thundered, and Godrin turned to Apollyon. Apollyon nodded through his jaguar-shaped helmet, and together they walked to the ship's hatch. Do you think Uriam truly betrayed us? said Godrin. It's hard to predict what he will decide, said Apollyon, but if he has betrayed us, do not show him any mercy. He should have allied with us or remained neutral. Wayne Leggett, so nice to have you with the podcast today. Hello, good morning, good afternoon. Thank you so much, Pam. Thank you uh, both Pam and, and Elias for having me today. This is wonderful. Oh, absolutely. So generally, what I always like to know is we say it's a very informal interview and feel free to share what you like to, or if you don't like to, that's fine too, but it's a very casual, informal interview. But I like to ask where you call home to get started. Right now, I live in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm actually from Fort Lauderdale, so I'm one of the, like, six native Floridians that are still here. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No snowbird for you. No snowbird for me, no. (laughs) Uh, I went to school up in New York, and so I've definitely experienced my share of winters. But, uh, yeah, Florida is, uh, I mean, it's where I was born and raised, and it's where I seem to get the most of my theater work. I've I've been doing the theater thing since I was 17. Oh, wow. Well, I have a handful of friends that have, I'm in Maryland, and I have a handful of close friends that, for me, sadly, have migrated to Florida, so I don't (laughs) get to see them. And I can't remember exactly uh, Ocala, I think near Ocala. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a good five hours north. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the other couple just, I guess, basically bought a second home, and I just can't remember where that is, but I just know they're not near me anymore for a while, (laughs) and I miss them terribly. Sure. All the good reason to come to Florida for a visit, right? Absolutely. 
really, except for like, you know, a week and a half ago, I got down to like 39 degrees in Florida. It was colder in Florida than where my mother-in-law lives in, in Arizona. You know, it was like maybe 55 there and it was 38 in Florida. So, oh my gosh, that's my know, kind of weather. That's the world's why I'm glad crazy. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maryland is beautiful. I mean, you guys have seasons and oh, yeah. Yes. But you know, they're not as vivid as they used to be. You know, really? My parents' anniversary was in October, and they would always go up to Pennsylvania mm-hmm. for a little anniversary trip when it was really crisp and really chilled, you know, maybe like 45 degrees or so, uh, 50 degrees. And now we don't get that weather, it seems like, until like November. Oh, so you can kind of feel that uh, environmental warming, I think, extending a bit. But yeah, definitely. The, the, the world has gone crazy in, in every single way. <laughs> yes, 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 it truly has. Well, let's get started. You are currently doing audiobook work. So kind of a loaded question, but what led you to this point? How did you work your way into audiobooks? All righty. So my whole life, I've been an actor. I got my union cards at 17. I knew somewhere in the, I don't know, maybe the sixth grade or something that I wanted to do this. I think I discovered that I could sing first. And it wasn't, you know, like pop singing or something like I could actually sing. And so then I started taking lessons and cultivating that. My parents, especially my mother, was extremely supportive. And, you know, okay, this is what the boy wants to do. We will we will continue (laughs) this. And so I've just always known that I was going to be in show business and and whether I was acting or singing or whatever. I mean, this is just what I've always done. It's my entire life. So let's see. Now we got to fast forward to maybe like 2005, 2006. The theater thing, you know, that that whole myth of you can't make any money in the theater, it's not a myth. It's absolutely the (laughs) truth. You can't make any money in the theater, even if you're lucky enough to go from show to show to show. And I was over, especially in my late 20s and all through my 30s and early 40s, I, I would do maybe four or five shows out of a season. And that is not easy to do. Number one, just in terms of getting cast and being a union mm-hmm. actor, getting cast, especially in Florida, which is an absolutely not union friendly, very right to work state. And, you know, union actors cost a little bit more money than non-union ones. So not only was it hard to get in the shows, it's also then hard to work out all the scheduling because you're getting in like four or five shows throughout a season. And they're for all these different theaters all throughout the region. Some are in Palm Beach, Jupiter, Miami, Broward, whatever, you know, over like a 40 or 50, maybe even more like a 60 mile, you know, span. So trying to make that work was insane enough. Sure. Let me ask you, what is a theater season? How long is that typically? Oh, theater season usually is like from September through April or May. And then anything in between that is considered their summer season. And some theaters don't do anything over the summer. So yeah, yeah. Theater season is usually September. Almost uh, like a school season. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Traditional school season. Exactly. So somewhere in 2005, I think, um, this equity actor, a friend of mine down here, Oscar Cheda, Um, I'm not exactly sure how he got started in this, but he started a dubbing company and we found that there were tons of studios in the Miami area that did voice dubbing and he started recruiting some of his theater pals to come in and do this because the main job requirements was, yes, you need to have a nice voice, but it's not like commercial voiceover or it's not like, you know, doing narration where you really do need to have control over your voice and, and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're going to be acting, you're dubbing a television show or a, or a foreign film that you're watching. And so you could really have any kind of voice as long as you could, number one, act and number two, figure out how to do the sync. 
So some of us just took to it like fish to water. And there were some other actors that are down here that are absolutely phenomenal actors, and they just couldn't get the sync thing. They just couldn't make that work. For whatever reason, I was one of those guys who could make it work. And so from about 2015 up to present, once a week, I would go into these studios, two, three hours a session, and this became like my part time job. People would always ask, you know, what is your survival job as an actor? And I would be able to say, well, it's a different form of acting. I'm not waiting tables or I'm not, you know, doing catering work or You're whatever. You're using your craft. Yeah, exactly. I was able to, I was able to still stay in show business, even though I wasn't doing my number one passion, you know, being live on stage. And so I've been involved in the whole voice, you know, standing behind a microphone and talking for a good 15, 16, 17 years. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic came, right? Yeah. And everybody was out of work. March 13th, 2020, I was in a I show. I remember well. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was that was the day the entire world, if, if you hadn't closed your business or shut down before, that was the day that literally the entire world shut down. So that was our opening night of a play. We had done two previews, Thursday and Friday, and that Saturday was this opening night. And, you know, and me and every other equity actor in the country was completely out of work. So everything was okay there for a while because we're all learning to collect unemployment and, you know, the government's Mm -hmm. sending us some money and everything's cool for a little while. But I'm like, what the hell are we going to do about the dubbing? You know, I I had to go into these studios. You had to physically get in the car and go down there. So all of a sudden they started sending us emails about how to build your own home studio (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) we're not sure if we can get you guys in. And even when they did, they were following all the CDC protocols and cleaning everything. And it it was, yeah, exactly. And somebody be in there for like a two hour session and then they take an hour to disinfect it. So it was hurting their business. They weren't able to go as fast. So they sent us all this information and to build a basic home studio without spending thousands and thousands of dollars for about, you know, anywhere between five, seven hundred dollars, you can do it pretty darn well to get by. So I did it. A lot of other folks down here, for whatever reason, didn't, and they were still able to go in and record. So all of a sudden I had, you know, a pretty decent microphone and I had some sound baffling and and I I was starting to learn um, Audacity, I think was the first thing at the time. And with all the dubbing work, they use Pro Tools because everything with dubbing, you have to import video and Audacity doesn't allow you to do that. So anyway, it was just like kamikaze. I had to learn how to work all the equipment, which I'd never done before. And then for me, Pro Tools was like learning how to drive the space shuttle. I mean, I had (laughs) no idea. And everybody's like, oh, there's tutorials out there and you can figure it out, you know, and finally they had it up like a, like a space station, exactly. all the it knobs was, and everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. So somewhere in 2010, while I was active in the dubbing world, a number of people had said to me, why don't you set up a home studio? You know, you just, you have one of those voices and you mm-hmm. know, you sound great. So why don't you, why don't you do that? And I was like, I'll never be able to learn the software and I don't want to be an engineer. All I want to do is act. So I never did it. So here I was forced to learn how to do it, forced to learn Pro Tools. And Amen, uh, brother. Yeah. And navigate <laughs> all of this equipment. And through the dubbing, because it was important enough to the dubbing studios to really tell us how to do it, they would break things down for us and we would do little video chats and they'd type things up. So I was able to master that pretty well. And I said, well, while I'm sitting here dubbing one day a week, what am I going to do with the other six days? I was like, join ACX and, you know, start getting out there and go on to voice123 or voices.com or whatever. Like this whole world 
that I never experienced before. And everybody and their brother had told me that I should be, but I never put it all together. So somewhere in mid-2022, I booked my first audiobook on ACX, and it was one of those royalty share things. Oh, so, yes. you know, like <laughs> after a year, I think I made like $43 on it or something. It was, it was, it was a very short it's book. It's not it was, very lucrative. No, it's not. It's not. And the book was ridiculous. It was heavily religious, and it was a very extreme religious kind of point of view. So I wasn't crazy about putting my name on it anyway. But I was like, okay, you know, it's money, it's experience. You're learning how to do the software. There's only maybe a small section of the world that's even going to listen to this book in the first place. You're pretty safe. Just keep moving forward. So through ACX was my baptism into learning how to do an audio book and master. Of course, with ACX, you have to do all the mastering and stuff too. So that was really my beginning. So somewhere in, let's say, October-ish of 2020, yeah, I finally started doing the audiobook thing. And I'm not really sure when I found Elias, but it couldn't have been too long after. I think I just started searching the internet for other companies that did audiobooks. And uh, he's been so supportive. I yeah, just, we yeah. just really have a mutual <laughs> admiration society. So he's, he's really good to work with. Well, let me go back a little bit and ask you, because it's kind of related to a question that we typically talk about, but you said that you went into the studio before COVID and did your dubbing for like three hours. Yes. Stamina-wise, physically and vocally, how did you manage that? Yeah, you know, I just kind of was thrown to the wolves and kind of had to figure it out. With the studios, we were... You were given the choice to stand if you wanted to. They also had a little stool in there. Physical stamina seemed okay. We would take a five-minute break every hour, hour, 15 minutes, whatever. Or, you know, thank God the engineer would say, I've got to run to the bathroom. We're like, great, I will too. And I'll shut (laughs) up for five minutes, you know. Um, And you've always got your water. Obviously, your water is like the most important thing, just chugging that, Mm -hmm. Um, which of course makes you want to go to the bathroom too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Lots of breaks. (laughs) But, you know, the vocally thing, it's funny that you mentioned that because For the most part, since 2005 all the way up to now, anytime that I was doing dubbing, I was also doing a show at the same time. And if it was a musical that I was, let's say it was a a Friday, and I'd go down to Miami and I'd do three hours of dubbing in the afternoon, and I'd know I'd maybe get like an hour nap after I get home, and then I run and do the show. If I had to sound really good in that show, right, if, if if I was doing a musical and I actually had to sing well, and I have just done three hours of, let's say, it's an Asian project. For whatever reason, a lot of those, either Chinese or Japanese animated series, everybody's yelling. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even if they're not upset, all the characters are just screaming at each other. The whole other. world has gone to scream. It's, it just think. seems to be that way. So that was really challenging. And, you know, aside from trying to get rest and drink as much water as I can and, you know, suck on some lozenges uh, and trying to just shut up for as long a period as I could, even if it was just like an hour driving back from the studio to home, mm-hmm, I would mm-hmm. go out of my way not to talk on the phone, not to try to sing along with the radio or anything, just shut up for that entire period of time. Yeah, that was that was incredibly challenging. And now that I do this from home, I've got a much better handle on it. I'm able to try to schedule things a little bit differently. You know, if I have a two-show day on a Wednesday, I'm going to go out of my way to try not to do any recording that morning if I don't absolutely have to. Well, I we talked with the narrators and I think we feel very blessed we can work from home. Yeah. And so I never had the opportunity to go out you know, many, many years ago, I worked at a radio station long, long, long time ago. But with this setup now and family caregiving and different things, I'm just so blessed that we can just walk 
12 feet away (laughs) and here I am, you know, it's so convenient and we do have to learn things. And I don't know if I've mentioned this to the others, but when I was getting back into this and was exploring voiceover before the audiobooks, and then I realized after doing some of the research that I was going to have to edit my own work. Mm -hmm. And that just freaked me out (laughs) to no end. Sure. So I took a class And now I laugh. I say, I'm an editing ninja. (laughs) You know, so it does take some practice. Absolutely. And you said you still use Audacity, right? For everything? I do. That's great. I do. I've used it now for, what, almost two years. So eventually may upgrade to another version. But for now... Yeah, but if you don't need to import video or do anything really super complicated, uh, the only reason now I'm totally hooked on the very expensive Pro Tools is I've become a ninja with Pro Tools. It's like if Pro Tools can do a thousand things, I've figured out how to do 17 of them. But (laughs) I can do do those 17 (laughs) really well and really fast. And I can crank out like 10 chapters in an audio book in about, you know, six hours and master it really fast now. So, yeah, it's funny the things you will learn when you Amen to that, too. (laughs) Well, tell me, what are you working on now? I mean, are you in the process of producing a book now or your most recent production? I am. I got really lucky in May of last year. And through one of those voiceover casting websites, I replied to an audition for uh, this company that's based in, I think they're in Singapore now and they were in Hong Kong. It's a the other side of the world. It's a, the whole, I think the app and everybody who runs it, they're all based somewhere in Asia. And it's a company that does nothing but audiobooks. That's that's all they do. They don't do any commercial voiceover work or industrial or anything. It's 100% audiobooks. And I took a leap. They offered me a year contract. And I really thought, like, initially, I was like, this is too good to be true. This can't possibly work out. So whatever the rate was, the per finished hour rate, I gave them a number that I thought was ridiculous. And in retrospect, I'm like, well, next time I'm going to charge them a little bit more. But I, you know. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, well, I'll do it for this. And and I told them like up front, look, I do theater stuff and I do my dubbing stuff. And I've been doing that for years and I have contracts with those things. And those things always come first. And they were like, it's okay. You do whatever you want to do. You'll make as much money or as little money as you want. And they wanted me to sign a year contract. So I signed a year contract. This has been terrific. (gasps) I mean, it's great. It's like for the first time, it's sad to say I'm 54. I've been doing this since I was 17, the whole show business thing. For the first time in my entire life, I can pick and choose my projects now. I don't have to run out and take a theater gig just because it's been offered to me. That's what we dream of. Yeah. You know, I'm sure all creatives and voice actors and all, you know, we come to that in audiobooks. I said my goal for this year, because I'm, you know, I'm about a sophomore into audiobooks. And I'm like, my goal for this year is to get one direct offer or more, you know, one or more. And that's when you, so many of them get them multiple ones, many throughout the year, but. Well, let me ask you, so with this relationship with the audiobooks, are you doing a variety of genres with them or is it sort of a, are they all similar or what do you like to do? Yeah. Um, well, all right. That's, that's, Two questions uh, that's into a good one. multiple. <laughs> exactly. I've also been a, an acting coach. And what I say to a lot of young actors when they're like, you know, well, I want to play Hamlet or I want to do Macbeth or I want to do this, whatever. I'm like, well, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find your type. As you probably like get out of college, like in college, you're 22 years old and you're going to be playing 50 year olds, right? Because that's college and that's high school or thespians or, or whatever. But when you get out into the real world, you're going to find what your type is. And unfortunately, your type is going to be defined by how you look. 
Well, same thing with the voice world. I was finding that with the dubbing stuff, I would get the newscaster guy. I would get the narrator role because a lot of times with these foreign films, it actually needs a narrator saying such and such title uh, begins now with directed by so and so. You know, it's not even necessarily playing the characters. Somebody has to do all of that narration stuff. And like anything that comes on the screen because it's in a foreign language needs to be said. So, you know, an ambulance will go by and you'll have to say ambulance and stuff like that. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I would start to get a lot of those things. And I was like, okay, this just seems to be my niche. The two books that I booked off the bat with ACX were both nonfiction books. They weren't fiction, you know, with lots of characters and acting and stuff. So I was like, well, okay, this seems to be my thing. And so I would kind of put myself out there for the roles that I thought I would end up getting. And I started to get more of them. So I think that maybe answered part of your question. With the Asia thing and with a couple of the other companies, including eAudio, productions. I did one fiction book and I've done two nonfiction, almost poetry kind of projects, Mm -hmm. which I've been happy with. The Asia stuff, it's all over the map. I'm going to say 75% of it is fiction, werewolf or vampire romance stories. Shifter kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. And it's all a very romance kind of theme. And some of the writers are legitimate writers and some of them are just people who've written, you know, like an extended blog. And for whatever reason, that got into the system. It got published and now it's going to be put in an audiobook form. So sometimes you're reading really good writing and sometimes you're reading writing that has clearly been translated from a foreign language and a lot of the sentences don't make sense and you kind of have to fix it as you go along. But it is a huge swath of books that they have on there. For whatever reason, the ones that I'm getting are these romance style audiobooks. And so I actually, for them, I use a pseudonym Mm -hmm. (laughs) because some of them get really, really risque. (laughs) And while I have absolutely no problem doing that, and I would have no problem doing that in a play tomorrow of whatever I would get cast in. I mean, it's a role, it's pretend, it's not me, I'll do it. But I know that some people get a little crazy about that if it's a real heavily religious theme or a political theme, or if it's something really overtly sexual. Explicit, yeah. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll just make up a name and I'll be that guy for this Asian company that most everybody in the U.S. is not going to be hearing me anyway. (laughs) So I figured it was pretty safe. That's very interesting. And do you find for your purposes in this company, are they distributed to the U.S.? Or is it strictly through? Well, it's all through an app. And I don't know how people find out about the app. I mean, certainly I had never heard of it. But maybe if you're really, really an avid audiobook listener, you would know about the app. Yeah, it's literally just an app on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever. And the company has like two sections. They have an app that's for if you like to read, you can actually read the words of these stories. And if you don't want to read them and just listen to the audiobook, then you download this other app and you just listen to the to the audio recordings. And they seem to be doing really well because just me last year made a very normal person's living just in eight months of doing this hardcore. And I'm probably one of, I don't know how many hundreds of narrators they've got. So they must be doing some really good business to be able they, to pay it sounds everybody. sounds like it. Yeah. To, your, to your advantage. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Well, let's talk about now the listening. You brought up listening. Maybe a two-part question. You know, do you or are you an avid audiobook listener? And are there specific narrators that you just love to listen to? 
I am not. Okay. I, I'm not either. <laughs> I you know, am I, not. I listen to a few. Yeah. There was a beautiful musical that came out on Broadway in the 80s called Sunday in the Park with George. Stephen Sondheim wrote it, Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters starred. It changed my life. I saw it at 15 years old and I wanted to do it. And about 10 years ago, I got a chance to do it. And everybody who saw me and it said, this was your birthright. This is the role of roles. It'll never get any better than this. And in a lot of ways it hasn't. But that whole experience took Totally changed my life. So a book about the making of that came out somewhere within last year or so. And I said, you know what? Why don't you, instead of buying the book, I did actually buy the book, but I said, instead of actually sitting there and reading it, why don't you download the audiobook? And because this was a fairly high budget audiobook, it had the writer himself doing the main narration. And it had this very famous actor named Len Carew, who is a Tony Award winning actor. And he had performed in not that show, Sunday in the Park with George, but he had done other Sondheim musicals on Broadway and won Tony. So he voiced Stephen Sondheim's voice, and it had several other folks narrating some of the other voices. So it wasn't just a one narrator doing voices kind of audiobook. And I was thrilled with it. And I was like, wow, this is like big budget production on audiobooks when you can hire like 10 people, you know, to oh, do yeah. all the voices like multicast, in, yeah. your, in your book. Yeah. So, you know, I listened to that one and that was written and narrated by James Lapine. And I would think if there are any biographies out there that have actually been narrated by the person, I think that would be much more powerful than just reading them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as far as like, you know, when I was a kid, I was very into Stephen King and I was very into Anne Rice books and all that stuff. I've never even explored. I'm sure that they are all audiobooks out there and probably narrated by really terrific people. I'm doing it so much. I don't have time to listen to anything. <laughs> to listen. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if I do, it's in the car, you know. Yeah, and I, yeah, I am exactly. <laughs> trying to listen to one by Hillary Huber right now. But, okay, but I'm not in the car too much anymore. So, well, having gone and listened to a few of these, you know that that really piqued your interest. When you're listening to their performances, are you peeling anything away to contribute to your narration? Are there any skills, so to speak, or any techniques that you're hearing from other narrators that you like to apply to your work? I am always. And I don't want to be that way. It's like I've done some film and TV work, too. And you sit down and you watch a TV show. And as long as it's really good and it's a great story and it's well-directed and there's some great actors up there, I'm usually not sitting back going, oh, well, I saw how they did that. And mm -hmm. oh, he could have done that so much better. I was that guy when I was in my 20s, when I had first come out of school, and maybe a lot of people are, you come out of a training program and everything is about the technique because that's all you've been working on for that last like two or four years is all those technical ways to do whatever you're about to do. Now I'm at a point where I try to just let that go. So if I'm listening to audio, whether it's a radio commercial or anything that involves voiceover, or sometimes when I'm doing the dubbing, I'll hear the other actor that I'm acting with. If they've done their dubbing first, I'll hear them in my ear as well. And if they sound false or if something has happened in whatever they're saying that I just don't feel is landing, I do try to really analyze it and go, OK, mm -hmm. why? Because mm -hmm. it can't just be because, well, that person's bad. That's too easy. And that's usually not true. Figure out what about that tone is making you say, I don't believe this or I don't buy this or I think that that could be improved upon. And a lot of times I don't necessarily know what the answer is. But when you hear 
good narration. When oh, yes. I, I was a part of this, I think it was after the ACX things. Again, it was a, a very religious, I don't know why they keep casting me in these things, <laughs> but it was a very religious themed audiobook. This was actually a book of fiction and I played like some archangel, I forgot my character name, but I was supposed to be this big, powerful archangel. So I brought on my best voice and I was doing all that. They had like maybe 30 to 40 people in this, all playing different parts. And while I certainly didn't listen to the entire, like, I don't know, 20 hours of finished product, I did listen to a good bit of it. And the actors were all over the map. I wasn't very impressed with my work. It was only like maybe the third recording project outside of dubbing that I had ever done. And I really didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was hearing audio problems. I was hearing echo problems. And I was hearing performance problems. I was like, come on, Wayne, why didn't you say that line better? You know, six months later, I'm able to listen to it and go, no, come on. Why, you know, why weren't you reading what the meaning of that was actually on the page at the time? So yeah, I can be extremely hypercritical of things. And I do try my best to figure out why it didn't work, put it into my work now and make sure I don't do that again, or I can, you know, in some way fix that. I think we all critique ourselves, but at that time, we're doing the best we know how to do with what we've been given. And having gone through some acting classes and coaching with uh, Joel Frumkin and a few others, mm-hmm. it's a whole different ball game to be acting for audio. And Absolutely. it's quite interesting so that the public understands that we're all learning to present the intensity without blowing out their ears, you know, (laughs) at the same time and keep that as intimate as we can. So it is quite a challenge and quite, you know, I do find it fascinating. And I think the listeners, if they knew what we're learning how to do and present to them to keep them listening, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating. There is, well, let, there is something interesting. I'm, so, I'm sorry no, to no, interrupt, no, but I, it's a compliment to you all at the same time. I think you have a great voice. I mean, I've been oh, listening to you, you talk now for 35 minutes, and I think it's, <laughs> I think it's wonderful. And I find that this is, this is a pervasive, I'm not going to say problem, but it's a pervasive thing that happens in show business, whether it's voiceover, theater, film, or TV. When you get what you hope to be really good at something. And if you have, in my opinion, a voice like yours and me on my best day, I think we have very listenable voices. Like Mm -hmm. no matter what we're talking about, people would want to listen to us. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, (laughs) I'm not sure if you've experienced this, but I definitely have in terms of casting, is somebody with a far less pretty voice, Mm -hmm. but a more what that person considers interesting voice is going to get that job over you. I have found that, you know, time and time again, because I don't do it so much anymore just because there's not enough time. And I'm also not nearly as upset about it. But in the beginning, if I wouldn't get something, I would try to find out why. And if I couldn't actually ask somebody, I'd see, you know, maybe three, four months down the line. Oh, that's that project that I auditioned for. Amazon will let you listen to like a five minute sample. Let me listen to why I didn't get that and, and who did. And you'll hear somebody that you'll be like, well, come on, I have a better voice than that guy on my worst day. But it's not necessarily a more 
interesting it's more than voice. That. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, was he doing more peaks and valleys with inflections? Or what I found, it was he doing less? Was he keeping everything kind of at this straight, kind of very comfortable, not really getting very loud? Even, you know, it's a crazy little business trying to please everybody that you have to please and please yourself as well. And I guess, you know, we're just never going to accomplish that. We'll, we'll <laughs> never know behind, because it's so subjective. You Correct. don't know what the agent who's booking this is looking for, what their customer's looking for, or their client. It's so subjective. And that's the tough part, because at least in audiobooks, it's also very much telling the story. Mm -hmm. So even people with really nice voices may not get cast because they're not able to bring that story to fruition as well as maybe somebody else. And maybe that person doesn't have a smooth voice right. type. They have, right. like you say, they have interest in that voice. So, well, as we kind of wrap up the chat here today, mm -hmm. I do like to ask if you have experienced any funny errors while narrating or do you have a blooper <laughs> reel that if you do, we can plug an insert in a little bit later, but... Uh, you know, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. This was early last year through a different company. I booked a nonfiction audiobook called Active Biological Evolution. And it is written by a world renowned scientist named Frank H. Laukin. And if you look this guy up, he would intimidate anybody to his <laughs> list of schools that he's gone to and degrees that he has. He's a scientist and he's a doctor and he runs this whole neuroscience, huge conglomeration of businesses. Anyway, he wrote this book that was his view of evolution. I mean, he was trying to, in some ways, disprove Darwin and he was using all these medical references to get there. How and it was 129,000 words. And oh my how gosh. I booked this in the first place, <laughs> I kept like trying to keep my mind on when you're done, you're going to get paid so much money for this. When you're done, this is all going to work out. But as I was going, I mean, I had to look up these $65,000 words every five minutes. I was constantly Googling stuff. Oh my my gosh. wife is a nurse and she knew some of the medical terminology. But anyway, during that, it got so off the charts horrible. I was so bad at what I was doing that I took five minutes or maybe maybe it was more like 15 minutes and I edited it down to five and I made a video of me trying to narrate and edit this book like on the fly. Like, you know, all, all of all of the bloopers were absolutely real. So I have that. That's the only thing that I keep. Unfortunately, it's filthy because I'm swearing up a storm throughout the whole thing. Bleep, bleep, bleep. So if I ever send it to you, you'd have to bleep out like every word. But yeah, I mean, it's just astounding. It's like you've done so many difficult words that even when you get to a fairly normal, easy word, you screw that up because you your mouth is just tired. <laughs> yeah, either your eyes are playing tricks on you or your mouth is just tired and it doesn't want to say that word. It doesn't want to say Pam and it comes out Paul <laughs> or, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it's it's fun to keep some of them. And I get more tickled at myself when I say things like that that just don't want to come out right two, three, four times. <laughs> have you ever, just... like, invented words, like, as oh, you're speaking? Well, I probably have. I've probably said them backwards or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's always like a simple word that you screw up. But, yeah, it's great. It's like you were saying in the beginning. It's so wonderful. You get out of bed. You walk about 20 feet. For me, I just walk into my living room into this little DIY thing that I built and I can just sit down and make money and I don't have to do anything else if I don't want to. I love being busy and I love doing 6,000 things at once. So I'm doing those 6,000 things at once, but it's wonderful to know that I don't have to. 
It is. It's very convenient now. Once you get it established and get the studio up, it's and, and it's my quiet place. You know, I come in and I kind of regroup on if it's a stressful day, whatever's happening, plumbing or who knows. And I can come in here and just kind of just take a, a little breath and relax. Absolutely. My, my best friend calls it my man cave in addition yes, to my booth. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, Wayne, it has been a true delight to get to know you today. I appreciate your time and getting to know you. You sound awesome. And I'm sure that your products are just outstanding. So I thank you for chatting with us. And I believe we'll go ahead and sign off. And I thank you all for listening and tuning in to the audiobook release podcast. This one's been all about narrators and Wayne Leggett, who has been our guest today. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the audiobook release podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you'll never miss an episode. We value your opinion, so feel free to post a rating or review. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Audiobook Release Podcast. Brought to you by eAudioProductions.com.